What is a good neighbor? What is a neighbor? My brother Bob, who lives down in Tulsa, has been trying to invest in his 17-year-old son and getting a heart for him to live for Jesus. His name is Baz. And so he was thrilled and excited when 17-year-old Baz came home and he said, Hey, Dad, guess what? He said, What, son? He said, You know, I was walking around uh, the, there's a university campus near them, Tulsa University campus, and I was praying, and I, I saw a homeless guy, a big homeless guy. And he said, I just felt like God told me, go talk with him. And so my 17-year-old nephew went and talked with him, and this guy shared how desperate things were. And, and, and he said, Dad, I looked at him, and he was shaking. He was cold. He was he was, it was cold out there, and so he said, you know, I just immediately was prompted to take off my jacket and to give it to him. And so I took off my jacket, and I gave him my jacket. He was a big guy, and so the, the jacket didn't even fit him. He had to put it on backwards and put it like this, and, and uh, he said, I just felt like God led me to do that. My brother was so proud of him. He said, son, I love that. I love that you're responding to the Lord, and I love that you're responding to compassion, I'm so proud of you, son. He said, what jacket did you give him? He said, well, Dad, I just happened to be using your jacket today because I put my... And he said, uh, which jacket? You know, the North Face jacket. You, 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 the North, my $300 North Face jacket? He said, yeah, Dad, I, I just, it was spontaneous. And he said, and it didn't even fit him? No, Dad, it didn't fit him. And then, so it changed the story a little bit. My brother had to go back afterwards and apologize because he was about to go find that homeless guy and take that jacket off of him. <laughs> in this passage in Luke, Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells us, well, Jesus, he convicts us because he challenges a man to understand that you cannot love God. You cannot authentically love God without being a good neighbor. In fact, if you really love God, if your love for God is sincere, authentic, and real, you cannot love God without it translating into actually empathy, compassion, and love for people. And so I want you to go to Luke chapter 10 because I believe that some of you are living your lives in a way where you Love God, but you're missing opportunities to really impact people. You are walking by divine appointments. You are missing out divine opportunities because you haven't understood or grasped the concepts of what it means to be an authentic neighbor. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is speaking, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Uh, Jesus was oftentimes challenged by religious people. Uh, they were the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the extremely religious oftentimes were those that were most against Jesus, and oftentimes they'd ask him a question not out of a sincere, heartfelt desire to learn, but out of a desire to test him. And so he says, a... A expert in the law, which was the Mosaic law, uh, tried to test Jesus. 
And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded in verse 26 and said, what is written in the law? Jesus knew that this man was a student of the law, so he said, what what is it that you have read in the law? And the man answered, uh, and Jesus said, how do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I want you to notice a couple of things before we move on in this passage. I want you to notice that this man was not sincerely seeking for God answers. He was trying to test Jesus and catch him. He knew in his mind the truth, but his heart was in the wrong place. Let me just pause and say this. You can know the truth and have your heart in the wrong place. You can actually have correct doctrine, but wrong heart. You can have a Bible and know it and study it. And you can answer questions that are difficult, but yet not have a heart in the place that God wants you to have that heart. This man studied the Old Testament, the scrolls. He knew the law of God, but yet his heart was far from the heart of Jesus. And so it's interesting that Jesus takes this conversation And he starts to reroute this conversation like Jesus always does, masterfully does. And it says that um, the man asked after Jesus answered that, well, who is my neighbor? You know, sometimes when we don't want to face something, we try to ask philosophical questions to get out of it. You tell your kid, hey, go, go dump the garbage out. And he says... Garbage? What exactly is garbage? (laughs) Hey, treat your sister right. Well, let's define sister. What is sister? Are we talking about the world? So sometimes to get out of practical obedience, we try to philosophize life and make it more complicated than it really is. And so this man, in order to justify himself, in order to try to squeeze out of obedience, he, he throws out this bigger philosophical question, and I can almost see him put his, his hand under his chin and say, neighbor, who really is my neighbor? And so in response to this, Jesus tells a parable. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a fictional story that is told in order to convey a profound truth. Jesus was a master storyteller. He would tell stories that were simple enough for a five-year-old to understand, but so packed with complex, deep, and powerful truths that the greatest scholars on earth could not quite comprehend the depth of what Jesus was communicating. And so Jesus tells a simple story We've come to know it as the Good Samaritan. And so I want to tell you the story of the Good Samaritan in the parable of Jesus today as we think through, hey, is our loving God really translated into loving our neighbor? Are we missing the mark? Do we have a spirituality that doesn't translate into really loving the people that are around us? And so... 
Jesus answers the question with who is my neighbor with a parable. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because Jesus is explaining to this lawyer what it means to really love God and be a good neighbor. The first thing that he indicates in this story is that being a neighbor means that I make room for interruptions and I get involved. You know, we live in a very, very busy city that we call Chicago or Chicagoland. The only people that aren't busy in Chicago are the tourists with cameras hanging from their necks and as they snap pictures of some of our architecture. But if you go downtown Chicago, you will find people buzzing past one another, uh, looking at their phones, always in a hurry, chatting, running briskly to try to get to work, to try to catch the metro train. I mean, we live in a city that's constantly in a hurry. And none of us like interruptions. In fact, we view interruptions as a negative thing. We don't like to be interrupted. They stop us and we say, hey, hold on, hey, don't stop me here. If we have to wait in line, it's like, hey, this is taking forever. If I'm driving down the road on Archer and a train stops, I'm like, oh, no, another interruption. We look at interruptions as a negative thing in life, something that's bad, something that keeps us from our destiny, from keeps us from uh, making it to a place on time. Yet I want to say that oftentimes... God interrupts our life, and interruptions are a gift of God. In fact, I look at Jesus, and I'm amazed at how Jesus handled most of his interruptions. You, you look at the story of Jesus. Isn't Jesus amazing, by the way? Um, yeah. I, I, I've thought of Jesus, and oftentimes when I'm trying to make it from one meeting to another, my calendar's packed out, I'm finishing up one meeting, jumping up another Zoom meeting, or making it, and it seems like I have very little time for interruptions in my schedule. And I'm reminded of Jesus, who was on mission to accomplish the will of his Father. But I think of Multiple times where Jesus was interrupted and how he handled interruptions. I think of the time that the, uh, some of the people brought some children to Jesus. And his disciples basically said, hey, don't, don't bother the Messiah. Don't bother the master with the children. And Jesus said, hey, don't let, hey, forbid not the little children to come to me. And I don't. The Bible doesn't talk about the interaction that Jesus had with them, but I can imagine Jesus kind of getting down and saying, hey, young guy, how you doing? Man, looks like you work out pretty good there. You're a good eater. Yeah, tell me. And sitting down at their level, pinching the cheek, giving them a big hug, the disciples said, hey, don't bother Jesus with the children, but Jesus invited the interruption of the children 
into his life. I think of another time when Jesus is preaching at a crowded house in Capernaum, packed out, wall to wall. They're overflowing into the outside, and right in the middle of his speech, his deep, powerful, profound lessons of God, suddenly, right above him, someone starts to dig a hole in the roof. And four men bringing a paralytic had decided they couldn't get to Jesus, so might as well dig a hole in the roof. And while he's speaking, uh, branches start falling in front of them. Uh, Hay starts coming, crumbling down. Mud starts coming. A hole is dug. And everybody's looking up at the ceiling, watching a hole being dug in front of them. And I would be livid that in the middle of my message, there would be a major interruption like that. I would lose everybody's attention. I would think like, hey... I have some important truth to proclaim. What is happening here? But Jesus, actually as they lower this paralytic man in front of him, Jesus says to them, friends, your faith. He saw their faith and he healed the man and he spoke with compassion to him in the middle of interruptions. Well, I think of one other interruption. I think of the time that Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and he was traveling with people and he was teaching and crowds were around him and suddenly there was a man on the side of the road, a beggar, by the name of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus can't see Jesus because he's blind. But he starts yelling out to Jesus, Jesus, son of man, have mercy on me. The disciples say, hey, quiet down. People are telling him, hey, shh, we're trying to listen. You're interrupting. And he, he raises his voice, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. He screams so much, interrupts so much that Jesus says, show me to the man. He went over to blind Bartimaeus, and by his, he showed compassion and mercy on him, and he healed the blind man that interrupted his speech and his time. Let me ask you, how do you handle interruptions? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that maybe some of those interruptions that come your way are divine appointments? Maybe it's just God bringing someone into your life. And you may miss a divine appointment because you are so busy and focused on your task that you miss what God, your main mission a person that's in need, someone that really needs you to speak into their life, pray over them, encourage them, give something to them, but we treat them as interruptions like they're keeping us back from our main mission. Maybe, just maybe, God is interrupting your life with someone that seems like an interruption, but it's your main mission in life. The story that Jesus tells is a story about a road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem was about 19 miles long, and it was known to be a treacherous road. People were assaulted there. They were hijacked there. This is not a road you wanted to walk at night alone. And so he tells the story of a man that's walking down this road, and in this parable, this man is assaulted, he's beaten, he's robbed, and he's left on the side of the road half dead. 
Down the road comes a priest. And by the way, there was a lot of Levites and priests, a lot of sacred, holy ceremonies happening in Jerusalem. And there was a lot of traffic from Jericho to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that this priest happened to be going down the road. He sees the man half dead on the side of the road, and he does what a lot of us would do. He loves God. He's a priest. He's into the things of God. But when he sees the need, in his mind he said, it's not my job, I don't have time, I don't think I should stop, it's inconvenient, maybe it's a trap, I don't have the resources, I'm not a medic, and so he walks right on by. A few minutes later, or sometime later, there's another man, a Levite. A Levite is also a religious person of the tribe of the Levites that was chosen by God to fulfill the priestly duties. And the Bible says that this Levite basically has the same response. In verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, he passed right on by. Now, Jesus is making a point with this parable. There's a reason that he chooses religious people People that know the word, that know God. He was talking to a lawyer that knew the word, but his heart was in the wrong place. He's speaking right to this man. You can have a lot of Bible knowledge. You can have a lot of understanding. You could be very religious, but maybe your religiosity does not translate into loving people. In fact, let me tell you what Jesus says, or what 1 John tells us in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, The Apostle John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother. Secondly, write this down. I'm talking about what it means to be a neighbor and not miss those divine moments that God is bringing to our lives. The second thing that we see in this parable is that being a neighbor means getting past my prejudice and my excuses. So in verse 33, Jesus introduces another character. He's told us about the man that was beaten. He's told us about the priest that walks by him. And the Levi that's too busy and also walks by. And now he introduces a character. Well, when he mentions the ethnicity of this character, the Jewish people that were listening to him immediately would have shivered a little bit and said, oh. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, what you have to understand about Samaritans, and you may have heard the word Samaritan. In John chapter 4, we remember we hear about the Samaritan woman that Jesus stopped and spoke to. In this passage, we have the parable about the Samaritan man. What you may not understand is that the Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. They were considered half-breeds. They were considered people that their religious Uh, had, had mixed religious beliefs between the true religion and idolatry or false religion. So Jewish people that really followed God seriously had nothing to do with Samaritans. They didn't want to talk with them. They didn't want to be around them. 
They considered them traitors to the nation of Israel. They considered them to be half-breeds. Ethnically, they despised them. They had bigotry against them. And religiously, they were anti them as well. So when Jesus uses the, the image of a Samaritan as being the good guy in this story, I'm sure the people around them were bristling. I want you to notice what he says. But a Samaritan as he traveled came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This man, we don't know, Jesus doesn't indicate the man that was beaten up and robbed what ethnicity he was. I'm assuming that most of the people would think he was probably Jewish because most of the people in that area were Jewish. This is the despised man of a different race showing compassion for someone that typically would despise him. Can I just pause here a second and say that Jesus was teaching something very powerful and profound? And I believe that the church of the living God should be modeling this more than anybody else models it. It was Martin Luther King Jr. that stated that sometimes Sunday morning is the most segregated hour during the week. Hello. You know what I love about this church that we're in right now? I love that you can look around and you see people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different sides of the tracks, different color of the skin, different ages, because the body of Jesus should look like that. It should look like people that come from a lot of different places, a lot of different backgrounds, but that love each other in a profound way like their family, not because of the color of their skin, but because they are they are part of the same family of God. And I love that. I, I believe that the church of the living God should be making the path in front of everybody else. We should be the bridge builders in this way. And Jesus is ex explaining in this parable, he's speaking to the deep prejudice that existed among the Jewish people. He's speaking to the deep bigotry that existed even amongst them as he talks about it doesn't matter the ethnicity or the color of your skin what matters is the compassion of your heart and as Jesus continues to explain and speak about this I'm sure that the people that were listening to his story were being convicted even more as he spoke about how this story unfolded, number three, not only does it mean that you make room for interruptions, it means getting past your prejudice and excuses. Number three, being a neighbor means that you're allowing your heart to get involved. I want you to notice what it says. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. You know, one of the great challenges of living in a big city like ours where there's so much hurting people around us and there's violence and there's poverty and there's homeless, it's easy to get calloused. In fact, it's easy to start looking at people around us and throwing them into stereotypes. He deserves that. He takes advantage of people. He's probably a drug addict. We 
we throw people in boxes of stereotypes. It helps us cope with the pain that's around us. It allows us to move on in a city and not get dragged into the needs that are around us. The moment that we allow our heart to be softened with compassion and empathy, then that empathy and compassion actually drives us to want to do something about it. And I, I just want to challenge you, Church of the Living God. I know, that, I know that you can't help every person that you see, and we can't be involved in every cause that's out there, and every cause is not your calling. But I do know this, that as people that follow Jesus, we cannot afford to let our hearts grow calloused. We cannot afford to let our hearts grow so cynical, calloused, and hard that we can walk past the hurting and act like they're not hurting. We cannot allow our hearts to get so hard so that if someone is on the metro and we're going downtown and we see someone weeping and crying, that we just say, well, that's their problem. I believe that the church of the living God needs to be filled with compassion and mercy so we view other people as human beings, not as stereotypes. We don't package and throw them into boxes, but we understand that they are people that God loves and that God has placed us there at that moment, at that time, in that instant, to show some mercy and compassion and empathy and hope for their lives. The Samaritan, it says, and he took pity on him. One of the ways that we guard our hearts from showing pity is oftentimes we put people in boxes. When we watch the news, it's easy for us to put someone in a box and say, oh, another gang-affiliated kid was shot and killed. And our stereotype is, well, he probably deserved it because he's probably some violent kid. But I just want to debunk that a moment and say, no, next time you hear of a 16-year-old kid shot, I want you to remember, first of all, that he's a son. He's 16. He's got a name, a destiny, a family. And he got caught up into a, a, a bad system and, and maybe did wrong things, but I never want you to forget the humanity of that face. I never want you to forget that that is a person, not a stat, that that is an individual, not just a news item, that he's not lumped into all those gang-affiliated gang members. He's an, a person with a heart, a soul, a destiny, a mother that gave birth to him, a God that cares about him and has a purpose and a plan for their life. So never, never put people in boxes like that. The Bible says that this Samaritan had pity. He let his heart. He didn't look at that person and say, well, he must be another troubled person. Maybe he was a robber himself. Maybe he's a drunk that got in trouble. No, he allowed himself to have compassion and pity for that person that was on the side of the road. He allowed his heart to get involved. And number four, lastly, write this down. Being a neighbor means that I reach out knowing that it will cost me something. Verse 34, this Samaritan man, it appears that he was maybe a businessman. He was riding a donkey on that road. And it says, he went, he went to him 
He went to the person that had been beaten up and assaulted. And it says he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine, which were the antiseptics of the day. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. I want you to notice that it took time. It took emotional energy. It took some personal risk because maybe he would have been at risk. And it took money on his part to deal with the need and the hurt that was in front of him. And oftentimes I believe that we may be resist or walk away from getting involved because we know it'll take time, energy, effort, money. It'll be difficult. It'll require something from us to do so. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to. I believe that we are the body of Christ. And again, I don't want to put a guilt trip on anybody and make it sound like every person's problem out there is your problem. But I do believe that God brings people into your circle and interrupts your life because you may be the only person that has the ability to show compassion and love and empathy. You may be the only person keeping someone from, well, you may be the person between them and the noose that they're ready to hang themselves with, or that bottle of pills that they're really willing to down. You may be the Word of God. It may take just a moment of your time to speak into their life in compassion or put your hand on your shoulder and say, are you okay? You may be the only person that at that moment in time, God has said, I'm going to put this person, my follower, a Jesus follower, into their life to reroute the course of their life because I know that they will be an example of me. You may be the only voice of love and empathy that God has moving around in this city to protect someone from a destruction or the destiny that they have because God has chosen you to be a neighbor. I heard of a man that his car broke down on the expressway, and he was waiting on the expressway just for someone to, he was waiting for a mechanic. He called the mechanic up, and so another guy stopped beside the road, and uh, the car that broke down happened to be a BMW, and the man stopped and said, hey, do you need help? He said, no, no, I've called the mechanic. He said, are you sure? He said, I fixed these cars. No, 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 I have a mechanic coming. He says, listen. Uh, there's no obligation on, your, on, on my part. If I'll, let me take a look at it, and if I can fix it, I'll fix it. No obligation on your part. And so sure enough, he said, okay, take a look at it. He opened up the hood. It was just a wire that was loose. He fixed the wire, put the hood down, um, gave him his card, said, if you ever need anything, just call me, and took off. About a week later, mysteriously, this mechanic's house and mortgage was paid in full. What he didn't know, that the guy that he stopped to fix his car happened to be Bill Gates. You never know who you're helping. And you say, wow, I'd love to do that. I'm going to keep my eyes open. Let me, let, let me tell you, the moral of this story is not to try to find people that can recompense you. The moral of this story is this. Come on now. 
The moral of this story is that there is someone that always sees that can recompense you much more than a Bill Gates can. And that is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that sees every single deed that is done. So I want to close this time. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. After telling this story, then Jesus looks at this lawyer and he says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. The moral of this story is not that you can earn eternal life by doing a lot of good works. Jesus taught squarely against that. In fact, what Jesus taught is that you could do good as much as you could all of your life and it would never be enough to pay the price for your sin and my sin. The lawyer originally asked, what can I do to earn eternal life? The first part of that question is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And listen, if you love the Lord your God and you believe in what the Bible has to say, then you will love his son Jesus and it will draw you to the cross of Jesus to say, God, there is no way that I can pay for my sins. I need a Savior. His name is Jesus. The point of the story is, though, that if you truly love God and you're a follower of His, then you cannot shut the compassion, mercy, and empathy of your heart off. You cannot say that you love God and not be involved in loving the people around you. Church, I believe that we are an extraordinary, powerful force. If we, if we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, but we allow that to be translated into loving the people around us. There's something compelling. There are more people today that are turned off by Christianity and turned off by God because they've been to churches that had right doctrine but had very little empathy and heart and love for people. And so they've left saying, yeah, I, they had the Bible, but there was very little care, love, or concern there. May we be a church that loves God with all our heart, mind, soul, and body, that follows the Word of God to its core, but shows empathy, love, and compassion to people that are hurting and broken in this world. Amen?